It's the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. We are back for another round of off-season frivolity. And look, it really is the off-season. <laughs> you know, COVID or no COVID, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's, it is it is now in the doldrums of like lack of sports. Like If it was normal times right now, we'd be sitting here being like, yeah, I love the Reds. It's great. I love watching baseball and basketball and I guess playoff hockey maybe would be in swing. Uh, so that'd be fun, but like actual college sports, I think we would be kind of in a, a dead period. So um, we are going to, you know, still got some things to digest, things to talk about. But first, Andy, how how's it, how are things going? How are you doing? Yeah, life is good. You know, it's, you said to me some something um, a few weeks ago when we were talking about the off season that really hit home to me is that in off seasons past, dubcasters could look forward to you waxing philosophical about game of thrones or <laughs> you know other other related off-season, off-season yeah. content and i kind of feel bad like there really isn't anything you know we didn't we didn't dive on to the tiger king um, there's no cultural bandwagon to latch on right now. yeah i'm kind of struggling to think of what that is you know at our house we've been binge watching green acres with our seven-year-old all right this, so and and well it's i love green acres you know that's the farm kid in me and i think sure. i sort of in a lot of ways, I identify with Oliver Wendell Douglas because now I live, you know, in Columbus right. and I'm living that that city kid lifestyle, uh, and I'm raising our daughter, you know, as a as a city kid, which would be a you know, it's a four letter word back home, you know, city kid's <laughs> an epithet you don't want to get, you know, applied to you. Uh, so I sort of identify with Oliver's desire to get out to the farm and all that sort of thing. Things I've learned though, the seven year old loves Green Acres doesn't get the Beverly Hillbillies at all. We, we, <laughs> we tried to watch the Beverly Hillbillies last night and she was having none of it. That was a bridge too far. I think some of it's because it's in black and white and not color. You know, Green Acres was sure. was colorized, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, there's your, Do-do-do-do. there's your Amazon prime video report for the day. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, look, so I was thinking about like, like Westworld, for example, Westworld sucks. Like it was intriguing the first season and I just kind of half-assedly watched the last season. <clears throat> Garbage. There's no Chernobyl. So we're just out here and we're kind of just kind of sitting, <laughs> chilling, waiting for <laughs> what HBO Max to come out. So we can watch everything on that. Um, but regardless, there there is still people doing their football jobs and producing football content, damn it. And we are going to be there to talk about it. And your friend and mine, particularly, and by your, I mean you, Andy Vance, your friend and mine, uh, Bill Connolly, uh, wrote something pretty interesting uh, for ESPN today. And um, basically he says that the spread offense won. It's over. The, the debate between whether or not the spread offense, you know, all these wild concepts and whatnot, if that was going to be something that defined how football, particularly college football, was going to be played, that debate is finished. It's it's done. The spread won. And and before we get into the particulars of this article about what he talks about, and he he gets all kinds of great quotes from some of these you know masters of the spread offense. You know, even Rich Rod gets a you know a shout out, and he he has a quote. Um, I want to ask you, how do you feel about that? Because you and I grew up in a time period where the spread was kind of this like you know it was a novelty and then it became more popular. And I just remember thinking when I was younger that I resented it a little bit because I love smash mouth football and I loved watching a really robust eye formation running game when I was a kid. 
how do you feel about the spread finally declaring victory? Which I agree with Bill Connell on this. I think the spread is one. I don't think there's any going back. Yeah, but yeah, Bill's right um, as he as he usually is, and and I'll cop to being fanboy number one in these parts uh, to to Bill and and his analysis of the game. Uh, but I for sure am am a student of the you know beat them down, win in the trenches, run it up the middle a hundred times, you know three yards in a cloud of dust football, and and who doesn't? I mean, Woody Hayes is our patron saint, and as Woody um, you know so sagely put it, when you pass the ball, there's only three options, two of them are bad, and so while the spread isn't nearly as gimmicky as you know like an air raid or the, some of those kind of things, it's you know I, you said it like when when that was starting to become a thing. That was not my brand of football, and so I was like, you know, you attach it to the SEC, you attach it to the you know, other type of conferences, not Big Ten football, right? And That's but here us. it is, but here it is, like this is Urban Meyer brought it to Ohio State in his way, and man, it 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 works. It's good. I like <laughs> I like I like Bill's hook with with LSU because I think I mean he's right. That's about the perfect. That's about the perfect analogy when you look at LSU and Alabama and how those programs change. Because what was the knock on LSU for a long time? You know, they had great defense. You know, they had the toughness. They had the SEC speed. But, I mean, they were not offensive juggernauts. Right. Right. And, they were and so the basic, dumb yeah. offense you've ever seen in your entire life. They were going to win six to you know three games half the time. That was that was who they were. That was their identity, and they they flipped that sucker right on its ear, right? Like, I mean, that was, I mean, Joe Burrow. I mean, we're gonna see how great he is in the NFL, but the fact that he was able to do what he did is is not just because Joe Burrow is a great player, but because they had a scheme around him that was just mind bending, and, and yes. people could not handle it. Um, yeah. So I one of my biggest things in this article that I thought was really fascinating. This is something that I learned the hard way, by the way, when I. Uh, <laughs> had an article saying that there was a, a former Ohio state quarterback in the sixties who was not so hot. And I well, part of my argument, not, I wouldn't say my entire argument. Part of my argument was that his uh, passer completion rating was not very good. And I got corrected by a former mayor of Columbus who, and former teammate of said quarterback who pointed out, you know, maybe completion rate was not quite back in the day, what it is today. Yeah. And, in his article, Bill Connolly points out, he says top 50 quarterbacks in 1989 had about a 57% completion rate, which mm-hmm. today would not be very good. Right. Um, and then in 2019, the top 50 quarterbacks have a 65% completion rate. That is a huge difference yeah. when you're talking about the fact that you've got guys, you know, who are throwing, you know, hundreds of passes in a season. Like that's, that's a huge, huge change. Um, from just, you know, literally, even if you look at, I mean, shoot, even if you look at like 1999, right, where it was less than 60%. To me, what really has changed is the fact that they have, coordinators have looked at quarterbacks and said, what can we do to get these guys as comfortable as humanly possible? And it's not, it is, does that does not mean that we're going to be throwing like little three yard uh, you know, out routes where they're just kind of like it's a glorified handoff all the time. But it does mean that we're going to try to get these guys in intermediate and short passes that are going to get the ball rolling quickly and just have a really high completion rate. And I think, honestly, that has completely changed the game because it spreads the field in a way that a screen pass or something can't. Well, um, and that's the thing I thought was really interesting when you look at those stats, the, the difference between 89 and 2019. So in a 30-year time frame, the completion rate jumped that much 
Um, but the average yards per completion didn't change that much. 13.7 right. yards in 1989, 13 yards flat in in 2019. So yeah, I mean, the the average completion shrank seven-tenths of a yard, but but that's not that huge when you're talking about what what do we say you know an eight uh what yeah eight almost eight percentage point improvement in completion rate and oh by the way the interception rate half of what it was in 1989 so and i think that's a huge thing too i mean look look at the ohio state's quarterbacks in the last couple seasons right last two or three seasons like how many interceptions have been thrown like it is it's amazing how well they are or how how well they are how good they've been uh, and how well they've been taking care of the the football. It, it, it blows my mind. Like, especially if somebody who's like watching like Craig Krenzel, you know, it's, it's just, it's insane to me that that is now a given that you don't throw interceptions. That's just, that's two. I didn't have one until like the very last two games of the season at one point. Like it was, it's crazy. One of the things I loved about this article and, and I encourage folks to read it because it's, you know, it, it, it's a long read. But there's a lot of good in it. But I love that uh, friend of the program, Rich Rodriguez, made uh, a, an appearance as one <laughs> of the several masters of the spread who are quoted in here. Because what it, what it reminded me of is, you know, how important fit and culture are to to the style of offense. Like these things, you know, don't happen in a vacuum. So you go to uh, one of the service academies, you go to Georgia Tech, and in the triple spread, the triple. Op- triple spread ha 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 triple offense um triple option i'll get it right eventually triple option you know they that's part of the culture right and so you you recruit players that fit that culture and so on rich rod was a machine uh west virginia and you look at you know particularly that orange bowl game i mean they were just you know murdering people and then you go to that school up north and and it doesn't work and it doesn't fit and i just think some of that the, the culture and the type of guys that were in that program and the type of like Michigan clearly wasn't there yet. They were not ready to play that kind of ball. Right. Well, and that's the thing, like it, I think culture definitely plays into it because it, it's something where you have to have buy-in right from, especially, especially the assistant coaches and the people are going to be disseminating this because it's one thing to go, okay, well, the head coach really loves this system, but if the other people aren't on board with it and they, they aren't capable of teaching it, it doesn't matter how revolutionary or how intelligent, you know, what the plan might be. It's just, it, if it doesn't work that way, it's not going to work. Uh, the other thing is, is that I think you've got to got, you've got to make sure that the players you have, not just fit your offense and what you're trying to do, but I think you really got to make sure that there's buy-in from them too, because like, I don't know. It, it, it's always been wild to me that Brady Hoke was the beneficiary of a lot of players who had Michigan had more of an, I think institutional willingness to do what Rich Rod wanted to do would have been perfect for that kind of offense yeah. and, and what he was thinking about. Uh, and he, you know, and he can mostly squandered what they were doing by just doing man ball, dumb bullshit. And it's, it's interesting to me because, <laughs> you know, every coach has kind of this system that they want to run or many of them do. And the ones that seem like they've been most successful in recent years aren't necessarily the guys that have these crazy revolutionary offenses. It's the ones that seem to look and identify the players that they have and are able to make them fit within this general structure, this general spread structure um, of college football. And it's like, 
an example that I would give for, uh, for instance, is, I mean, obviously, you know, you can look at Joe Burrow and say, okay, this is a guy who's obviously been transformed or whatever, but Jalen Hurts going to Oklahoma. I mean, people, obviously Oklahoma didn't do all the things that they wanted to do, but that's a guy who went from a situation where it wasn't like a Lincoln Riley offense gets into that and is able to basically like, he's not replicating all the stats and whatnot, but he's performing at a pretty high level. He was doing a pretty good job for the Sooners. So I just, to me, it's like a, it's not a necessarily a plug, plug and play kind of thing, but it is something where you have to look at it and go, all right, what is the most effective plan that we can come across? And as Bill Connolly points out, like the numbers bear this out. And, and by numbers, I mean like schematically, if you have the right scheme, it's not really easy to defend. It, it's, it's something that, you know, it, he uses the word multiplicity, for example. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. When you're able to insert people in multiple roles and, and, and show different schemes and all that kind of stuff, it's, that's the future of college football. I truly believe that. What, one of the things I like, too, about, and you mentioned Oklahoma, the other friend of the program that made a, uh, an appearance in that section of the article was uh, uh, Kevin Wilson, Ohio State's own. Right. And we talked about how when Wilson was offensive coordinator at Northwestern way back in 2000, he was uh, picking Rich Rod's brain to figure out how to create that tactical advantage. And so I think, you know, you, you start to go back and pick apart some of the threads of what makes Ohio State's offense so good uh, and and has been so good for several years now, you know, and you start to see some of those um, uh, familiar faces that pop up from time to time. And, okay, we, we took a little bit of the secret sauce from over here and we learned from these guys over here. I mean, you see that on the, the defensive side of the ball too, as Ohio State's defense has evolved over the past 10 years. Um, some of the cross-pollinations that happened from different assistant coaches and different gurus and who did we steal this from and, and whatnot. Uh, and finding kind of that recipe, the secret sauce that makes it all come together and hum, uh, you know, that it's, it's kind of neat. I, it's one of the things I don't, exits and O's are, are just half a step ahead of me. So it's every time I read Kyle Jones at 11 Warriors, I learn something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I find the, the evolution of some of these schemes really, really interesting. And what, how did they become the thing? And then maybe the next step is what's going to be the thing that replaces the spread or uh, whatever spread variation Ohio state is running now, or these other programs are running. Cause there's going to be something else that comes along and single eye wing formations, this thing, right? <laughs> so what, what, it, what is it? I don't know what it is yet. But. Well, so that's the thing though, right? Because it, it for something to come along that I think requires defenses to have adjusted in such a way that the current offensive, you know, niche or scheme or whatever you want to call it, the motif, whatever people are using regularly doesn't work anymore. Right. There's got to be something that defenses are going to have to figure out and exploit to the extent to which uh, the spread in general just isn't as viable as it used to be. I don't know what that is. I don't know what defenses can do to really mitigate some of the things that the spread offense brings to bear. And what's interesting to me is like, I don't want people to look at the spread and go, Oh, nobody can defend the spread. That's impossible. Cause I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Sure. You can absolutely have a dominant defense. Maybe not in the sense that you're only giving up like maybe 12 points a game or something like that. I, I think that era is gone, but you can still have a defense that's really, really good giving up 17, 18 points a game, even against high quality opponents. That's still possible 
But I think it also requires teams like Ohio State and Alabama and LSU and whoever else, Clemson, to have the athletes, particularly in the secondary, that can do multiple things, right? They can line up, you know, at safety. They can, like, you know, scooch up to a linebacker position and blitz if they need to. you got to have guys, athletes, that can just do all kinds of different things in the backfield. Uh, but I don't know if there's, like, some, you know, I don't know if there's, like, a chess move or something like that that defensive coordinators can do to – to really counter the spread. And I think that's kind of what Bill's saying is like, it's, it, this is it. Like this is what college football is going to look like for the foreseeable future, unless something really wild uh, happens with defenses. Um, but that's an opportunity, right? Like that's, that's something for defensive coordinators to sit down and go like, okay, look, what can we do to really, you know, kick these <laughs> spread offenses right in the balls, right? Like, what can we do? And I, well, that's, that's when call that's when football grows and that's when it becomes more interesting. So speaking of uh, members of the media that I'm, I'm very fond of, uh, you know, Bill, Bill Connolly being one of them, but, but uh, when you ask the question, who watches the Watchmen, our next guest is maybe the guy who watches the Watchmen when it comes to sports media, Ben Koo with Awful Announcing, a site that covers, I guess you'd say, everything from the business of sports media to some of the really wacky and ridiculous things that sportscasters and media personalities do in the zoo that is sports entertainment business. Ben, welcome to the Dubcast. Um, before we get into the heart of a couple different things I want to talk over with you tonight, for folks who aren't familiar with Awful Announcing, give us the elevator speech of what the site and the brand's all about and, and what you do for a living. Yeah, and if you kind of look at um, how sports media has been covered, it's typically been an industry publication. So there's uh, a website called the Sports Business Journal, and they're great, but the people reading the Sports Business Journal are people within media. So we always thought that there deserved to be a site that covered everything going on in sports media, whether it's will Ohio State Michigan be on Fox this year or ESPN. Uh, you know, how does game day compare to Fox, uh, Sports Illustrated? Are they going to have 52 uh, issues this uh, year or are they going to have 35? Uh, we always thought that all these things should be covered um, significantly, but from the fans' point of view. So that's really what the website is, is kind of breaking down those topics in a way that's relevant to fans and not uh, people with inside the industry. The, the word fan being short for fanatic and and I think we're finding in the middle of the the corona coaster the covid craziness that sports you know has become sort of this uh pervasive part of our lives in general not just for those of us who are in sports media in some way like uh, the three of us on on the dubcast today but all of us are kind of tied to sports in some way let's start talking about some of the big trends in sports media so as we've all been locked up or quarantined here over the past couple of months what are you seeing as some of the big trends or threads that are emerging in how this uh, pandemic's affected sports media I mean from the live sports absence on through to just your day-to-day coverage on the ESPN family of networks and so on yeah I mean everyone is scrambling because they had their schedules filled out. So whether you're ESPN or Fox Sports or one of your local channels that were expected to have NHL and NBA now MLB, there's nothing there. So we've seen a glut of re-airings. And I know 11 Warriors has, has kind of covered that there's been various Ohio State Michigan games, Ohio State Penn State games, um, old tournament games. 
So right now, if you're a broadcast partner and you have the rights or can get approval for the rights for old classic games, um, you know, the networks have really been filling up there. Uh, the ratings haven't been great, um, but, you know, it's something that you set it and forget it and you don't have to devote manpower to producing a show. Um, you know, it's something you put on now. I think in a 10, 15 minutes, they're going to be putting on the Packers Seahawks Phil Mary game. So <clears throat> ESPN's had a strategy of a different sport every night, Monday night uh, football, then Tuesday, I think it's baseball, Wednesday's NBA, Thursday's college football. And last week it was the double overtime Ohio State Michigan. Uh, ESPN's had a huge success with the Last Dance uh, Bulls documentary. That's uh, it's essentially doubled what their ratings were for the highest rated 30 for 30 ever. Uh, so that's been kind of a breakout story. And what we're kind of covering now is just the long-term implications that uh, this is going to have going forward and how kind of the companies are dealing with it uh, with some, you know, uh, there's been some furloughs and some places have let go of some people. I, you guys probably know SB Nation had a lot of great college football writers that may no longer uh, write there anymore. It's kind of a little unclear. So there's just been a ton of disruption and, and we've been doing our best to try to uh, cover all that disruption and how everyone's scrambling to, uh, to adjust. I think well, I definitely just... want to get into the long-term effects of all of this. Cause that's incredibly important, but short-term, isn't it, is it kind of weird to you that it feels like these major sports networks have essentially turned into off season, big 10 network. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause they're like, it's okay. We got the Seattle Seahawks game from 1993. Like it, to me, it's, it's very strange that that's kind of where the, the shift is. That's where the pivot is in lieu of live sports, do you think that's sustainable? Is that, I mean, like you said, the, the ratings haven't been great. Do you think that's something that can be continued for, I don't know, another two months even? I mean, they're getting some people to tune in. I don't think they have better alternatives. Um, you know, they aired some old 30 for 30s. They've been re-airing Peyton's Places, which is something that was only on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, there's just no good solution because, I mean, the, the what they what ESPN typically does and other networks is that, you have some live sports and then throughout the day you have people debating and talking about what's happening in sports. So there's just not much to debate or talk about. And then you would have at nighttime when all the games are wrapping up highlights of sports that would roll into the morning. So if you take away live sports, you kind of take away highlights and you take away stuff you can argue about. And you're, you're kind of at, uh, you know, you have a blank slate of like, how are we going to, you know, bullshit this time away? And old games is not the worst idea because you're not, you don't have to pay production people or you don't have to send people into a studio, which can be dangerous during this time. So it's basically, I think what, what they've determined is this is the best worst option. Um, I thought they might be pushing like their 30 for thirties a little bit more proactively. And they, they have been doing that on the weekends on ABC um but really espn's super lucky to have the last dance kind of in their back pocket because that's been the big kind of ratings mover um and the other networks really haven't had much of an answer um to kind of retain their viewership and i mean that's a, a pure luck thing because that this clearly was already in the can and it's not like now you can run out and bang out a 10-part Kobe yeah. bryant documentary or something like that because <laughs> for all the reasons you just said you can't you're not going to have people in the studio. You're not sending uh, film crews all over the country and someone to throw together something like that on the spur of the moment. So, I mean, they, they really fell in 
the manure and came out smelling like roses on that particular piece of content. Yeah, I mean, I actually spoke with the director today, and if, if listeners aren't familiar with the story, this was going to air in June between the off nights of the NBA Finals. So they were going to do two episodes, and then an NBA Finals game would happen, and then two more episodes, and that was the plan. Uh, and so the 10 episodes were not finished, but ESPN quickly was like, we're really screwed, uh, and, and knew <laughs> this was going to hit the spot. So they, they accelerated – um, the, the post-production and more, and the reason they're doing two weeks is because even right now, uh, it's the, the last two episodes are still unfinished. So they basically have two, two weeks to finish it, which is probably like back in my single days, if, if friends were coming over, uh, and, and you knew you had to clean up and you had 15 minutes, I, I, that's what I imagine that they're going through right now. It's crazy. It, it, do you, do you know of any other like similar type of like media, um, I don't know, efforts where they're trying to like put something out that will create that? Or is it not just by they, I mean, just any major media outlet. It, do they have anything else in their back pocket? Is that pretty much it? Is that the, <laughs> that the shot that they're shooting right now? Yeah, there there is like a Bruce Lee 30 for 30 that it was supposed to come out at some point, we think this year. And there there was also one about McGuire and Sosa and the home run chase that I think is really interesting. Uh, that we we didn't have planned announced dates for that. We think we're probably it's probably the back half of, of 2020 was planned. I don't know if those are going to be rushed out as well. We do know Showtime announced uh, this morning that they have two or three documentaries that they're trying to get out a little early. I I kind of skimmed through what they were. I don't think they were overly enticing to the normal fan. Um, and, you know, it's Showtime, so less people get Showtime. That's a way smaller audience than ESPN. So uh, other networks are trying to get stuff out, but is it going to be Michael Jordan and the Bulls and, like, half of sports fans' nostalgic, like, childhood? Uh, probably not. So I think, I think this is just kind of a one-off success. I mean, this is maybe a, a fantastic uh, example of what you're talking about. I just got a push notification from NFL that uh, the schedule for the upcoming NFL season will be released in a three-hour special on the NFL Network starting at 8 o'clock Eastern Thursday. I mean, a three-hour schedule reveal special wow you know like that's riveting <laughs> programming right like, who cares <laughs> hey, we're starved for sports content so we're gonna probably watch it and if but if you're a programmer in nfl network what else are you doing for three hours on thursday night exactly i i'd have to check how long schedule reveals have been in the past i feel like it was more of an afternoon thing and it was like over an hour and little things would leak out that the day of uh, but yeah, you, you don't have other options for programming uh, right now. So you really take what you can get and kind of stretch it out. So, so let's move that into then the long-term consequences. So there are a couple different issues that, that I want to tackle. One, you, you had a piece last week uh, about cable and satellite companies potentially aiming for rebates from ESPN and the other sports networks. Um, and, and you and I were having some discussion about this offline right before, um, we hopped in the studio here to tape this. So walk us through what the situation is. So without live sports, it's kind of presents a number of thorny financial issues for the four letter network and the other sports nets out there. 
Yeah, so if you're not familiar with how your cable bill works, uh, your cable satellite bill, um, each channel that's on your package of channels is getting uh, part of your bill. And sports is about 15 to $20, depending on what sports channels you have. So if you have friends who don't watch sports and have cable, they're being basically taxed $250 a year, uh, you know, for, for having sports in their cable bundle. Uh, and some of those agreements that those channels have with the cable and satellite companies have really specific clauses like, you know, we will give you 17 games of Monday night football and, and that's why you'll pay us $9 a month and we'll have the college football playoffs. You know, uh, so ESPN has those, uh, the semifinals and the finals. And then the cable companies will say, well, we can't not have that channel because people will lose it. You know, Ohio would go nuts if the Buckeyes were in a playoff game or a finals game and they couldn't get it on cable. So there are guarantees in their carriage contracts for certain sporting events. And so there, uh, there was a story last week that said some cable companies are saying, we're not going to give you your $10 a month or whatever it is because you're not giving us live sports. So $10 a month doesn't sound like a lot, but if you add it up to everyone who has cable, that's about 80 million people. That's $800 million a month. Um, of, of you know if that the cable companies could claw back potentially uh, because they're not getting live sports from ESPN and they were saying maybe you would get a rebate on your cable bill saying hey there's no live sports your bill's ten dollars less I was extremely skeptical about this for a lot of reasons um, and there's been more reporting out today that it, it's a little bit more dubious than that um, I think one of the things that that people don't think about is that. When you think of your Blue Jackets games here locally, I believe they're on Fox Sports Ohio, uh, but for other areas, the channel that cover that has those local games would be Comcast Sports Bay Area, where I live in California, or AT&T Sports uh, Texas, or whatever it is. And so how can AT&T or Comcast say, we don't want, or we're taking back the money from ESPN because they don't have live sports. Well, then would they do that to themselves because they're not providing games uh, for the channels they own? Um, and they're, they're, the reporting that came out today essentially said ESPN's contracts are not that granular and, and give them a six-month uh, reprieve if something were to happen like this and that their contracts are done out not month by month. They're guaranteeing certain events, but they're spaced out over a year. So ESPN would have to have no live sports for a considerable amount of time, and then would have six months to remedy, uh, remedy that is kind of the, the report out there. The one thing I am hearing, which is interesting, is that some of the NBA and NHL contracts for the individual teams say that you need to complete 70 games of the season for us before we pay you the, the annual fees. So for the Blue Jackets, uh, Fox Sports Ohio, I think that's what, what it is, and you know, up in Michigan, if it's Fox Sports Michigan, I think, um, whatever channel uh, the NBA and NHL teams have, uh, and uh, along with MLB, that they have a, a certain minimum of, of games until the team gets paid by the channel. And so what I've heard is that the NBA and the NHL are potentially looking to have a handful of regular season games, even though they don't seem as necessary, specifically so the teams can get paid by the channel for hitting that minimum amount. So, do, I mean, how long is this – 
relationship sustainable like that you know what i mean like when you have this when you have this situation when you have this back and forth one of the things that i've always looked at is when a lot of these contracts come up and i I know there's some major ones coming in like the next two or three years what happens with that do do the various you know organizations that govern these sports they look at the cable companies and go this is not a long-term profitable relationship anymore we're going to look through other avenues be it streaming or some other kind of thing um, how long before that that relationship just kind of crumbles and doesn't exist the way we know it? That's a great question because there are people who have said that by now the cable bundle will have you know should have already imploded. Uh, for your listeners who are unfamiliar, there's about 120 million households they say in the U.S. that have a television, and at the peak, 100 million people had cable, and that was like five years ago. That number is now down to closer to around 80 million. So about 20 million households have lost cable uh, and gone with other things. Uh, so, you know, that's that's a huge blow to the networks. But um, at the same time, they're charging more. So if they used to get five, ESPN used to get $5 per household, and now they're getting close to nine. So if you lose 20 million households, but you gain four dollars almost double your fee you're actually out ahead so at some point this is going to break apart where it's it's too much money that they're trying to collect on the monthly fee compared to the the lowering amount of households so the numbers that i've the predictions i've seen is that 60 million uh households is where the leagues will go well if there's 120 million households and we used to be in 100 million of them with cable, but now we're in 60. That's less than half. That will be kind of the point in time where they start going, well, we want to be in more than half of people's households with Monday Night Football or with the college football playoff or with, uh, you know, the various kind of, you know, March Madness is on uh, TBS every other year, the Final Four. And those leagues and entities are going to go, we don't want to be shut out of half of the, of the U.S. American households with television. And you guys are only in 60 million. So we're at 80-ish now, maybe a little higher. It kind of ping-pongs back and forth sometimes. Uh, 60 million is the number that I think people have kind of uh, circled as like doomsday. So hmm. that could be, you know, maybe five years, uh, I think, is is potentially when we could be looking at problems there. So the question, I, I mean, I keep coming back to as somebody who's sort of like half in, half out, because, you know, we at our house, we're still – AT&T customers in a traditional cable package, but we have a number of, you know, paid, whether they be streaming or over the top services as well. What, at what point does the average consumer come back and say, yeah, it's probably just cheaper to have a cable bundle than it is to have five or six other streaming options to assemble the same basket of entertainment properties they were watching otherwise. I think we're probably there now. Like these these skinnier bundles, uh, you know, they came out with like Sling TV and PlayStation View and Hulu TV. And these things all started out at like $30 a month. And then people had their Netflix and that seemed like a great alternative and Amazon Prime, which a lot of people already had. And now there's Apple TV, the Peacock is launching, Warner Max. Like it's a lot. And I think if you really want choice of programming, uh, a lot of people are probably paying $100 for the same programming that they would have gotten, you know, a few years ago if they, if they had cable. So I think it depends on how picky you are about your content. 
are, you know, you can probably save 20 to $30 by picking, picking and choosing what, what kind of streaming uh, services you have and missing out on a couple shows. Maybe you can, you know, a lot of Americans are just using their, their friends' passwords or, you know, family members' password to kind of get around that. So uh, I think if you're really finicky and really want to be up to date on all of the kind of popular shows people are talking about, you're potentially spending more money now uh, with all the various streaming services. But if you're kind of able to let a thing, uh, let some things go, uh, not be plugged into everything, you're, you're probably uh, able to save a little money, but it, it's not that much unless you're just going with, I'm just watching Netflix and Amazon prime. If you're doing that, you're probably saving a little money. You start kind of adding on to that. You're, you're probably drifting into a place where you're not really saving money and you have less programming. We'll leave it at that. Ben Koo with Awful Announcing. Thank you for a great look at the media landscape and how this is going to play out over the coming months with live sports in limbo. Keep our fingers crossed that there's some some resolution for the sports nuts out there who just can't get by without live sports in their future. Ben, thanks for joining us on the W. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. So that was Ben Koo. Thank you so much to him for coming on and discussing this. This is this is like low key, I think going to be the biggest story in sports in the next five years or so um, is how media and the various governing bodies of these sports decide to handle, um, you know, their, their media contracts and how to broadcast sports. Because I, I really don't think that the current model is even remotely sustainable. And I honestly think like streaming is kind of the way of the future. I think you're going to see a lot of stuff online. I think you're going to see a lot of games being broadcasted only online at some point. And I honestly, Andy, I would not be shocked if sometime in the next three to five years, you saw an Ohio State football game, one of the out-of-conference games at the beginning of the season, you know, against like Northern Illinois or something like that, uh, being broadcasted exclusively online, like streaming exclusively online. That would not surprise me in the least. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because in the one in the one piece that Ben wrote, you know, his uh, the subheader was something like, you know, the the cable bubble, you know, is the cable sports bubble ready to burst and i kind of feel like there's two bubbles there on the one side is is the cable sports you know kind of the issue we were just talking about with ben but i think you know rights fees for live sports i mean i think that's a bubble at some point too like how yes. how many billion dollar because we're literally talking about billion dollar deals with things like the college football playoff with, you know, things like let's say uh, big 10 network, um, you know, and having, having tier one rights deals with these conferences and so on, you know, so that at what point does um, an ESPN or a Fox sports or whomever say, uh, that's a little rich for my blood guys. But I, but I think too, you know, the conferences are so, and, and not just the college sports conferences, but the NBA, we could be talking the NFL, you know, insert your particular league of choice. You know, they their business models are built around these massive rights deals. So if they exactly. can't get it from ESPN and Fox, I mean, they're going to have to do what you're saying. They're going to have to take ownership. They're going to vertically integrate right. um, further. And instead of having a partner with a media company, you're going to do it themselves. Or they'll find or they'll find like Alphabet and they'll go to YouTube and say, all right, we'll broadcast these there instead and and find so like it's either that or they'll have to find some entity that can pay the numbers that they are currently getting because that's that's the issue right like that's the problem is that they have a number that they want to hit for their you know for their uh product 
And if they're not getting that number, they're going to freak out and try to figure out a way to get that number. And they can't go backwards. And it's just, that's what the problem is to me is that they are so wedded to making X amount of money. We talked about this, right? Yeah. We talked about this last week. And that's, that's what blows my mind about this is that the, I feel like the actual demand or at least the, the financial demand for the product has so far outpaced what the actual like money that it's bringing in um, or rather vice versa that I I just don't think it's sustainable. I, I don't think, you know, when all is said and done, especially after this, you know, coronavirus stuff, people are going to look at some of these numbers and go, this is, we got another couple of years of this. And then we got to start making some hard choices. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, so thanks again to Ben for coming on. We want to remind you that the, uh, <laughs> the 11 Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store, which you can help sponsor us. You can keep our financial stable at 11 Warriors. Buy great stuff on the Dry Goods Store, drygoods.11warriors.com. Uh, shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of fun stuff to keep you warm and comfy as you quarantine and, and you know so, social distance and all that good stuff. Uh, let's do Ask Us Anything. We got a question this week. Uh, please continue sending us those questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. We we love hearing from you so much, and we're so lonely, and we just want to, to hear and answer the most ridiculous possible questions that you have. Um, this one is from William. William wants to know, pretty simple question, who is your favorite fictional athlete? Well, you know, I, this question always brings back the Keanu Reeves conundrum, uh, (laughs) which, (laughs) which fictional Keanu Reeves quarterback was the greatest Ohio state with Shane footsteps, Falco or Johnny Utah. I mean, I think on paper, the answer to that question, by the way, is, is Johnny Utah is probably pretty definitive. The uh, disagree, but that's fine. Well, you know, I mean, dude, the replacements is one of my favorite sports movies. I don't know if Great I should consider movie. it. It is so underrated in the sports movie pantheon. It, it so really, underrated. It, it really is. Uh, and I realize that's not the actual question that was being asked, but that's that is one of my favorite sports movies. Totally underrated. And I don't, I, you know, there's something about the magic of Gene Hackman in in a coaching role. I mean, he he plays a totally different character than Norman Dale there, but there's enough Norman Dale in that character that I enjoy it. And Hoosiers is, you know, the all time great sports movie, I think of, of all time. So <laughs> I've gotten way out of way out in left field on this, but uh, yeah. No, I mean, well, just real quick about Gene Hackman. One of my favorite things, somebody wrote this, I was reading an article, I think maybe on like the AV club or something about Gene Hackman's acting career. And one of the points that they made was that Gene Hackman never gave, like it didn't matter what movie it was in. It could be utter crap movie great movie he never gave anything less than 100 percent in every role that he was in and he tried to find the character in every single role that he had he he just he really 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 gave a crap and every role that he had um and i respect the hell of that and that i think part of that's why the replacements works because he he really dug into the pathos of that whole movie which Again, we're getting off topic a little bit, but the reason why I think The Replacements is such a good movie is because it has a point to make about kind of this melancholy and like missed opportunities. And it, it it's not a movie that's just like, oh, these guys are goofy and they kind of suck, but then they don't. It's It has a point that they're trying to drive at and they reinforce it throughout the movie. And it's really good. I, I think it's a decent movie. Yeah, I, I suppose my favorite fictional athlete, uh, let's say um, Tweeter, from the West Canaan Coyotes, 
in uh, Varsity Blues because <laughs> I mean, who was living Excellent a better choice. who was living a better life than Tweeter? Man, I mean, that guy was living his best life before that was a thing. Man, that's that is. Here's the thing that first of all, excellent, uh, excellent choice. I, I think that's that's a very well done. Thing. <laughs> that that whole movie is just. It's my entire junior high school like childhood just distilled in like an hour and thirty five minutes. It's really ridiculous. Um, it's hard because when I think of sports movies, I think of like the foundational kids movies that I had. You know, growing mm-hmm. up, like the, you know, like obviously the Mighty Ducks was huge, but then oh, you had the sure. Sandlot, which is yes. obviously like every kid who grew up in the late 80s, early 90s favorite movie. Um, if you were big into sports, especially baseball, it's like your favorite thing in the world. You know, even even garbage movies like The Big Green with Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's or Little Giants. Little Giants is Little a great Giants movie. Underrated. Yeah, there you go. Classic. So, you know, or Ladybugs with Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> we watched, uh, you know, we went back, speaking of way back, getting in the way back machine, you said Ladybugs, and it made me think of um, Goldie Hawn. And what was the movie she was in? Oh, it's one of my wife's favorite movies where she was the football coach. Oh, oh I know what you're talking about. I, darn. I can't remember it. That's going to drive me nuts. I'm going to have to go down the hall and I should should holler across the room and, and get her attention. But yeah, that was a great one. We went back and watched that a few months ago. Uh, bad News Bears. I mean, that's like a classic. Everybody loves Bad News Bears. Although mostly for, you know, the, the coaching performances, I guess. I, I don't know if the kids stand out. <laughs> Walter Matthau. What, what, and, uh, what is your favorite sports movie of all time? Oh, God. Uh, we can do a whole show on that. I mean, we've started, I know. Riffing, and maybe we've started we should, riffing on honestly. some of our favorites. but No, we yeah. should, actually. I think in the next few weeks, we should definitely have a sports movie okay. blow out and, and talk right. about that. We'll be the uh, 11 Dubcast Night at the Movies. <laughs> I'm fine with that. You you can be you can be Gene Siskel. I'll be Roger Ebert, and that'll, be, that'll work out. It'll be good. All right, so um, Dubcast listeners, get your questions in now. Uh, they ask us anything <laughs> for movie night, the Dubcast night at the sports movies. It'll be yeah. it'll it'll be great. That'll be fun. I, God, that's hard. I I really couldn't tell you off the top of my head because I would have to narrow it down between like the Sandlot and maybe Goon. And actually, my answer to this question is Doug Glatt from Goon. Um, if you haven't seen, have you seen Goon? No. Andy? Oh my God, you need to watch this movie. Goon, it had a sequel. I have a sequel's good, but it's not as good as the original one. Goon is about this guy who is just a bouncer and he ends up um, kind of finding himself on a, as an enforcer on a minor league uh, hockey team in Canada. And it's really great. And it, he, it, it's so Doug Glad is played by Sean William Scott. Sean William Scott. Like Stifler. <laughs> You know, but, he, he, that, but is not his character, and he's a very lovable, sweet man. Um, and he just kind of finds himself being very good at violence. And the movie is kind of him dealing with the fact that he's not a particularly violent person, but he really just is great at beating the absolute hell out of people. <laughs> and it's it's a really really funny movie. It's a really sweet movie. And uh, yeah, Doug Glatt is probably my favorite. Uh, movie like you know media athlete he's and he's, i and i realize that this has nothing whatsoever to do with this movie but thinking about uh the, the goon on a hockey team in sports movies has just taken me to you know happy gilmore and like trying to stab yeah. someone with an ice skate like that's <laughs> right 
<laughs> yeah, Happy Gilmore. Another and and look, if if I'm being honest, like no, you know that goon Doug Glatt. That's like the political answer because everyone's like, oh, goon, I love goon. If I'm really being honest with my heart, it's you know it's Airbud. It's it's oh, Air yeah, I'll, I'll come on, a heartwarming story. That's great. Not yeah. only that, it, multi multifaceted athlete. We're not talking about a guy who's just really good at he played one everything. Sport. He played everything. How many sequels um, were there? like a lot and then they and then when the dog like it kind of became less plausible that this dog would still be alive after you know many many you know years and movies <laughs> uh then they had the super the air buddies uh who would go into space and talk and things like that, that I, I consider that non-canon in the air bud universe i don't think that's real <laughs> um <laughs> there's also most valuable primate uh which is oh, a whole nice. other universe. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'll get into those movies this summer, I'm sure. Um, so anyway, that's those are our answers. Uh, well, wait, what, which I forget which one did you say for yours? I said Tweeter. Okay, Tweeter. That's right. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So I say Doug Glatt. Andy, you need to watch Goon. You'll love Goon. Okay. I think that'll definitely be up your alley. Um, yeah, and you know it's really air butt, but that's okay. So <laughs> we'll do we'll do movie night in the future here. It'll be good times. Uh, but until then, we'll keep rolling. I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next week.